down and grab the the elements, the, the juice and the, the bread, then we'll go back to our seat and we'll pray. Will we ever can you hear me okay? Yes. Whenever we come to a time like this, it's very important to understand what you're doing here. Yeah, in the old days we'd call this the Holy Supper, the Last Supper, the Eucharist. Uh, the Lord's table the early church would call it the covenant meal the Jews would call it the love feast see but it's not about what you call it it's about what you're doing when we partake from it and it's very interesting that when uh, the apostle Paul in 1st Corinthians chapter 11 and what Paul spoke about the supper he said what I received, I'll give unto you. That on that night that he was going to be betrayed, he broke bread and gave thanks. And it's interesting to know that the Apostle Paul was not one of the twelve on the Last Supper. The Apostle Paul got given this instruction before the Lord in the Spirit. He was not one of the twelve. He was not at the Last Supper. And it's interesting that he wrote about how we break bread and how we are to perform communion. I don't see anyone else talking about it. They recorded it in the Gospels, but Paul's got instructions from the Lord. And one of the instructions is to do this in remembrance of Him until He returns. And I want you to understand something now. And I don't want to fast forward this. I don't care about my message because this is the most important part of the night. Because when we partake of the Lord's table, the Lord's Supper, He's present. And we've misunderstood what God is speaking about when we partake. In the church, early church, the Bible says that the, they, they went about preaching the apostles' doctrine and breaking bread daily. So what we're doing here tonight, so you have an understanding, that when we eat this bread and drink this cup, we are remembering and confessing and invoking what the finished work of the cross did. You see, we can fast, and we all believe in fasting here, yeah? Pray, confess the word, worship, serve, give. But ultimately, if we do all that and not know who Jesus is and not know what He's done, we have become Pharisees and religious. You see, I don't see anywhere in Scripture Jesus rebuking sinners but he was rebuking religious Pharisees. He wasn't condoning sin, but what he was understanding that anything that gets in the way between our relationship with the Father and the Son, Jesus comes and confronts. You see, when Jesus broke bread on the Last Supper, if I was to take this bread here, sorry girls, See, our bread is from Baker's Delight. <laughs> and there's no power in this bread. I'm sorry to tell you, there's no power in this wine. But there's a mystery about what we're about to do where Jesus' body and blood will be here. I have no power to make this the body of Christ, nor do I have power to make that wine his blood. But when we come together in faith, it becomes the body and blood of Jesus. Amen? Just like when we go into that water last week, there's no power in that water to cleanse your sins. No power in that water to deliver you into heaven. 
But in the faith in what Jesus did on the cross, we get into the water. Amen. And there's an old saying in the old traditional church. And they used to pray and say, Father, as you bring your people from the four corners of the globe, just like you brought the wheat from the four corners of the globe to make this bread and become one, bring your people together and we can become one and partake of one body. So that's true communion. But there's a warning here, guys. He says, do not take the bread unworthily or you drink judgment on yourself. And I'm not going to get too much into that. And many people argue, what does that mean? How can I eat the body of Christ and eat judgment on myself? How can I take partake? Because Paul says some of you are sick, weak, and sleeping early, meaning they're dying. In other words, when we partake of the communion, it's where the power of the cross is. Healing happens. Deliverance happens. And he's astonished that it's not happening anymore. And he says it here, and people ask me all the time, and I don't want to get into it too much, but I want you to understand something. As we are one body here, one body come together to have a meal about the broken body of Jesus. But before you come here, before you partake, I want you to assess yourself. The Bible says judge yourself better than God judge you. And what he's saying today is, he was talking about, is there factions among you? If you read it in context, he goes, is there divisions among you? Is someone better than someone else? And he says that you come together as one, but you eat separately. Some of you get drunk. Some of you don't even wait for the poor. And he went on with a whole list of things. And you know what he was saying? He says, if you're coming together as one body and you're fractured, how dare you take my body that was broken for you? That's what he's talking about. So before we come up, and I'll pray, if you have something against someone, or you have something in your heart that's not right, or you're, you're playing with something that's sin, that's, that's separating you from God, this is a great time to repent now and give it to Him. Because I don't want to withhold you from taking the Lord's Supper because that's the most powerful thing we can do. But I want you to take it in a worthy manner that you honor what Jesus did at the cross. And I said to the Lord yesterday, Lord, I've, teached, I've taught this, I've preached this, but why did you give it to Paul? Peter was there. John was there. Matthew was there. But you gave this revelation to you. And the Lord spoke to me. I, I, I didn't get an answer straight away, but I believe the Lord spoke to me. He understood what it means to have one body. Because when Jesus appeared to Paul, who was Saul, what, was he, what did he say to Saul? Why do you persecute me? Because who are you, Lord? Saul was arresting Christians. He murdered Stephen. He, was running, he was so, had so much zeal that he was hopping on horses and going all the way to Damascus to, to lock more Christians up. And Jesus appears to him, he goes, why do you persecute me? Because who are you, Lord? Because I'm Jesus, the one you persecute. See, God doesn't, Jesus does not, there's no difference between Jesus and the church. Because we're his body and he's the head. And he had that revelation. And he said, listen, when you come together, come together as one. So when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we come together as one body and we are invoking the finished work of the cross where the power of the cross is revelated and we do this till he returns, amen? That's the power of communion. Communion isn't to take the bread and sit on your chair. The communion is to know that I'm united with one another and I'm united with him. Because when there's unity, God commands a blessing. That's the power of communion. That's the power of the cross.
When he said, take my bread, my body was broken. When Jesus was whipped on the scourging post, when his body looked like it had been plowed, the Bible says, the, the, sorry, historians say, but Isaiah 52 says he was disfigured unto human recognition. He was a piece of meat on that cross, unrecognizable. That's what he means. My body was broken for you. For our healing, for our deliverance. Then he took the cup. And that's the everlasting covenant that he shed for us. Jesus was about to pay the ultimate price to bring us freedom, amen? So when we come up here, don't come up here religious, woe me, I need something. Come up here to celebrate the finish work of the cross, amen? It's a finished work. You can't add to the cross. You can't take away from the cross. You come here as a child of God, amen? Amen? They're going to play a song, and as come up, I know, don't worry about the kids' noise, we want them to be a part of this. Come up, take your community and go back to your seat, come up, you know, bring your children if you have to, but come up and then go back to your seats and we'll pray. Yeah, as you come up, this row can come first, if you don't mind. Come on, kids, you can come up. Stay in the atmosphere of worship, please.
I'll tell you when.
this river vision to do this today and see he's at home at the moment we're going to take uh, break bread for him as well also my brother Jared I'm going to stand in the gap and have communion on his behalf here today his family's here guys we need to start getting into that place of faith where God moves on our behalf amen we are not we are not victims we are living out of victory I want you to hold the bread up. Jesus said, this is my body that's broken for you. You've heard it said that when Jesus was whipped, many say that Jesus was whipped. The ultimate punishment for a, that the Jews would give someone was 40 lashes less one. And say that they wouldn't want to break the law of Moses, that would stop at 39. And I was taught that all my life. But do you know when the Holy Spirit spoke to me and says, Tony, the Romans whipped Jesus, not the Jews. So Jesus was whipped with cat and nine tails. Repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. So there was nothing left of him. His body was broken for you. That's why Isaiah could say that by his wounds, you are healed. See, only an unrighteous person gets whipped on a scourging post. That type of punishment, people would commit suicide in the jail cell before they even got there because it was that excruciating. But Christ knew what he had to do. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. So when we lift up the body of Jesus and we partake, why is it so important that we partake? Because when Adam and Eve ate, they partook. And Jesus says, you must partake of me. And he will reverse the curse. Amen. When we partake of his body that was broken, that we can be healed. Amen. That's the covenant that he made with us. So Father, I thank you for your son's body that was broken on our behalf. Lord, we don't come to you in a religious manner or something we do or just to get it out of the way. Lord, we, our hearts are humbled before you. And we cry at the feet of Jesus to see what you have done for us. You're our Lord and you're our Savior. But you were beaten and stricken and smitten. Father, I thank you for Jesus on the cross. That he broke his body for us. That we could have the body of Christ. As we eat, we eat of the healing of the bread of life. In Jesus' name. Take and eat. He lifted up the wine and said, this is the blood of the everlasting covenant. A covenant that can never be broken. When Jesus was in the garden, he said, take this cup from me. We're drinking of the life of Jesus. He made a covenant with us through the blood. There's life in the blood. And as often as you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. As often as you do this, you remind yourself, the spirit realm, that Jesus has won the victory. That we are in covenant with Him, that we're His sons and we're His daughters. We overcome Satan by what? 
the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. Not your testimony, the testimony of Jesus that He went to the cross. We are testifying because of the blood. And whenever you go through something, allow the blood to speak louder than your situation. As we drink, we drink of a covenant that can never be broken. It's free for us, but it cost Him His life. As we drink, we drink of Jesus' blood until He returns. Amen. Father, I thank you. You have one body here. You are the head. And we do what you say. We follow your leading, Lord. We ask you to bless every family, all the children, Lord, in the name of Jesus. As you can see, God is growing this church. We, look, we don't look for numbers. We look for sons and daughters to come home. So, Lord, I thank you for a blessing upon blessing. Put your hand upon every person. Father, I thank you that your blood and your body that was broken, we do this in remembrance of you. And we give you all the praise. Those who are sick in their body, Father, I thank you would heal them right now. Those who have spiritual attacks, mental illness, anything that's come against your spirit, soul or body, we command them to leave in Jesus' name. Because your word says that by your wounds we are healed. And we thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, you are the teacher. Have your way here. You get all the glory. You get all the honor. And you get all the praise. If you agree, say amen. 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 Give the Lord a hand. Oh, wow. Kids, you can go. They're just waiting to go. That's all right. Short message. Has Has he got that one lined up? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. As the kids are going, praise God. Everyone doing well? Hallelujah. Thank thank you for letting me be absent last week. I wasn't feeling the best and... uh, I got over it, but my voice wasn't there, so to some people that's a blessing. My son reckons that the more I lose my voice, the louder I get. <laughs> awesome. I won't keep you too long today. That was very important what we did. There's something that I'm... Oh, first of all, I want to thank everybody that... Um, thanks, mate. <laughs> thank you for the birthday wishes. I was really overwhelmed. I woke up Saturday morning with... Messages from Brazil, messages from Australia, and uh, wishing me, and thank you for your nice words. For those who didn't send me a present or a message, I still love you. Um, I'm joking, I'm joking. Now, I'm really honoured, and um, some of these messages really touched me. I, was, I got one from Rabs that had me in tears, and then they follow, followed, and, you know, I've been serving, I'm going to share, you know, it's actually quite funny how I'm going to, anyway. Yeah, thank you. You know, it's, you serve God because you love God, not because you get something from God. Um, so it'll be 21 years for me this, uh, this September that I, the Lord touched my life. And it was interesting. Um, <laughs> my message today is about, 
the word is a double-edged sword and I just want to talk to you today. I'm not going to preach. I'm not going to... I just want to share my heart in the time I've got left to encourage you because those who have been around here long enough have got a lot of word in them and we get fat on the word. But that word has to bring some substance, some nutrition and sometimes we, get, we want more word. We want the next revelation. We want the next best thing and you know, there was a time in my life where I hit a wall I was seeing God move powerfully in, my, in, in the ministry. I, was, I started off with home groups, so I was a house-to-house preacher. And in some cases, sometimes I love it better than this because in the homes, people are more relaxed. God moves, and, and, um, but we'd be obedient to what God's called us to do. But I started off in the homes. I was, I was part of a church, but a lot of the stuff we did and ministered and was in homes, and God was moving powerful. But there was a stage there where I felt like I hit a wall. And it wasn't that God wasn't moving and it wasn't that God wasn't speaking to us. And it wasn't God that wasn't giving us revelation. It wasn't that God wasn't showing up because I, I can testify in 21 years, I don't think ever God has not showed up in any of our meetings one way or another. Because if he doesn't show up, you've just got a guy talking. You've got a bunch of people listening. We need his presence here, amen? You can't build up his presence. You can't put the right song on. You can't put the right mood it's about your heart for expectation. See, if I haven't spent time with God and you haven't spent time with God, then God won't show up. How about someone go to you? You reckon someone will come to you if you don't want them to be there? You shun someone a few times. You ignore them. Do you think they want to come? I can't wait to go to their house. Some people often say some people are a blessing when they leave. I mean, joking. <laughs> and there was a time where I hit the wall and... And I said, Lord, oh, I need to find the next, what, 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 I need to pray more, I need to fast more. And the Lord spoke to my heart and says, go back to the beginning. And I thought, wow. And I went back to those early revelations that I got and those little times where I understood I was a son and, and those little times where I understood the Holy Spirit. And I went back to what I had learned because, you know, back in those days, we used to have notepads. We used to write everything the preacher said, we'd write. And something that spoke to you, we'd write down. Now it's the age of technology. But... I used to go back through my notes, and, and I'm not a scholar, I, don't, I can't spell. If you looked at my notes, you go, and people say to me, can I have your notes? No. 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 Because what you're going to see is disaster. But I'll go back to the milk of the word sometimes, and it refreshes you. I'm, I'm, I'm reading things that I got revelation of 20 years ago that's come alive again today, because I thought I knew it all, but you don't. And I'm fat on the word, but guess what? God will take you back to bring out everything out of the word. Amen? And we want more. No, we don't want more. We want him. And it's interesting now, like, I often look at it where Paul was using Old Testament scripture, but he showed it in the light of the gospel. He knew it off by heart. Growing up as a 10-year-old, 12-year-old, he knew all the Old Testament. He knew the five books off by heart by the age of six, seven. Because he, he studied, he was a Benjamite, he was a Pharisee. And guess what happened? When he got saved, God took him back to show him what it really meant. And sometimes we get a revelation of something. Don't stay there. Let God manifest some... It's, it's, it's depending on your hunger. It's not depending on the preacher. We've put so much emphasis on the leader and the preacher. Our job is to lead, don't get me wrong. But what about your obligation? Where do you, what responsibility do you take for your soul? You're going to give an account for it. Amen? Amen. 
And it was interesting to see, you know, um, that in those 21 years serving God and, and, and obviously my wife and I, we, we married 25 years next week, so praise God we made it. I often say me living with Janet is like living in heaven. Her living with me is like living in a science project. You don't know what you're going to get every day. You know? <laughs> but she's blessed to have me. And um, I mean, I'm, we're blessed to be married. And it was interesting. Let's read the scripture before I start crying, all right? Let's go to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11 to 13. And I'm going to play video. You got that video there, AJ? All right, I'll, I'll tell you when. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God, everyone say the word of God is what and powerful and piercing the division of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart we've said this we've preached this you've read this you get it on your devotionals and here we know that the armour of God is the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, sorry, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the sandals of peace, um, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, the shield of faith, all back to front, I know. And we get the word of God, he said, oh, when the devil comes, what did Jesus do in the, in the desert? He spoke the word. And we get a sword, I had a sword, I forgot to bring it, eh? Amy, you got your sword in the car? No. But here it says that the word of God is living, and powerful. See, sometimes I often think we know why the world attacks the church. We know why the world attacks the Christians. We know the world attacks the Bible. The most attacked book in the world. There's other religions of other books, but it seems to be that Christianity or the Bible gets attacked most. Why? Because it's alive, it's not dead. It's not a book of philosophy, although you can get some philosophy out of it. It's not a book of History, although there's history there. It's not a book of poetry. There's poetry there. It's not just a book of directions because we get direction from it. It's not a good a book of morals because, you know, we got the moral law in there. It's not just a book to give you a map and a guide and search it. It's living and breathing. Everything is God-breathed. Here, instead of just fighting off the devil with a sword, if you look at a sword, it wasn't until a certain time where the swords were just big metal things. Then they started to sharpen the swords. Like a samurai sword is very sharp. Here he says here that the word of God is sharper than a double-edged sword. It's, if, you say, if you've got something sharp, it's meant to cut precisely. I remember at school, I did a course, a printing course, and they gave us this little leather stamp, whatever. It's like a stamp, but it's a little leather, and we had to put a, whatever we wanted to print. So they were teaching us how to do it. In the old days, they would trace the, the image, then we'd cut it out with a scalpel, and then that will be the image that you put it on a printing press and there you have your image. And I remember saying, it was funny, the Lord brought it to my attention the other day. And I said to the guy, oh, these, these blades are sharp, man, I'm going to cut myself. He goes, no, it's the opposite is true. You see, the sharper the blade, the less chance of cutting yourself. 
And if you think about it at work, I'm in the building game, you get a Stanley life, and we're always fighting at work about the Stanley lives because they're always blunt. You're trying to cut something, and you end up trying to, you start chopping the thing up, you nearly cut your hands because, but if it was sharp, it just slices. Here it says the word of God is like a double-edged sword. It's meant to cut precisely. And it's interesting here, it says, piecing even the division of the soul and the spirit. But this is what got me, and the joints and the marrow. Where is the marrow? It's inside your bones, in the joint. A doctor's scalpel still can't do that. Can't, you can't cut out the marrow out of a bone. They do bone marrow transplants. But here he's saying, this is getting pretty deep now. This is precise cutting and precise intricate work here. What is he trying to say here? He's saying that if the Word of God is living and breathing and it's powerful and it's like a double-edged sword and pierces through every division, and look what it's, what's its point? It's the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The intent could be the motive. In other words, people... I know where people are at when they're going through some stuff. When you're going through some stuff and you want prayer, we pray. But then after a while, I start to know where you're at. You know how I know where you're at? Because you don't read your word. Because when I say I read my word, guess what the, what the word of God's doing? It's reading me. The word of God reads you. I read the word. Yeah, I got a revelation there. And after a while, oop, I read something that I'm not even... We'll turn that page. We don't like that bit. And we'll keep going. What's it doing? It's hit my spirits, cut through the soul, hit my spirits, hit my bone. What's it doing? It's reading me. There's some places in my life I'm not where I should be. See, if we're truly reading the Bible, we can't stay the same. But if we want to be like the Pharisees and blunt the word, make the word of God the sword blunt, it just starts mulching and chopping up. Guess what? We can make the word say whatever we want. He says it to him in Mark. He says, you have got the doctrines of men. He says, you say, honour your mother and father. So when they would read the law, they say, honour your mother and father. He says, do you honour your mother and father? If you read it in context, they brought up a law that if you didn't want to honour your mother and father and give them money to help them when they're old, you could give a bit to the temple and that would nullify, you can pay them later. Do you know that? Because they were getting the money. So they said, oh, you know what, we'll just change it a bit. That's why Jesus said, do you honour your mother and father? You read it in the temple, but then you do the opposite. So you made the, the doctrines of men now. You've taken away the sharpness of the word. Because the word is powerful. Remember, the, the Bible is so powerful that it's in the wrong hands it can destroy people. Most cults that start, start right. They start with truth. With every deception, there's an element of truth. Otherwise, you wouldn't be deceived. True. That's why the word of God is powerful and then you've got the Holy Spirit on top. Here, when we began to read here, it says, I, they swore they wouldn't enter his rest. What was he talking about there? Let's go a bit of a... He was saying there's an example of the old days where the Jews or the Hebrew people were coming out of slavery and they never entered his rest and they were so whinging and complaining. And he says, listen, there's a pattern before you. I've given you the promised land. I've given you a place of rest. God's given you a place of rest and healing and deliverance. But if you want to be in disobedience, and when we read the word disobedience, we think like we're sinning. You know the word disobedience there? Unbelief. He says the sin of unbelief. So when you start, when you have been touched by God and you stop believing, he calls that a sin. Why? Because you're in disobedience now. People don't see that. Goes, well, I'm going through some stuff. I don't know where God is. Disobedience. God's not, making, God's not feeling sorry for you. 
if you know his word. See, what did Jesus do on the cross? Was there anything left over to do? Let's be honest. So what don't we believe? He says they don't enter their risk. He even got so angry because I didn't want to read the whole lot because of time. He says, I swore an oath they won't even get in. So when God says something, it's important. When he swears on it, watch out. I swear to God. Do you reckon he said, I swear to God? No. He wouldn't have said it like that. <laughs> I don't know where that come from. But he wants us to enter his rest. See, the word is so powerful and living. This Bible is living. But the Bible itself, if I grab the Bible here, so I've got a laptop, and I sleep on it, I put it in my shirt, and I wash myself, it doesn't clean me, it doesn't protect me, and doesn't empower me. The greatest heathens in the world, I've got Bible on the mantelpiece at home. But if I open that up and let it speak to me, let it grow in me, and the Holy Spirit. See, everything I'm going to do, I'm going to do through faith. See, I said this in the communion. If you just fast and pray and give and declare and have no faith, waste of time. See, I'm going to put my faith with my word. The Lord showed me a picture that the Holy Spirit came and left in the Old Testament. Came, worked through people, landed on people, manifested glory on people, but could never live in people. The only time the word of God came and stayed was on the word, which is Jesus. He came upon the word, and the word was crucified and manifested it to all of us. See, we want, I love this, what this guy said, this, this guy that my son listens to. And he was singing this thing, and at the end of this song, I like one of these songs they sing, and then he talks over it, and I, I always want to fast forward it because I've heard it 37,000 times. But I think God was trying to get me to hear something. And the guy says something. He says, men want a deified God. They want a God that's deified, but not crucified. Men want, mankind wants a God. Yeah, we believe in God. We put God. But what we do, we make God in our image. We make God our superhero. We make God our genie in the bottle. But truly, our God was crucified. And he requires us to be crucified. He says, in order, Moses, I've said this a million times. Moses said, I want to see your face, God. He goes, no one can see my face and live. In the New Testament, it says, or sorry, in the Old Testament, if you were to see the face of God, you'd die. It says, but I'll show you the back of me. When the Bible says that Moses saw Moses uh, spoke to God face to face like a friend, it's a figure of speech. That he had, a, he had a communion with God. He had a fellowship with God like a friend face to face. But he never saw God's literal face, otherwise he would have died. That's why he made him hide him in the cleft of the rock. We've taught on that. But in the Old Testament, before the cross, before the blood, he says, if you see the face of God, you die. In the New Testament, he says, you must die to see the face of God. I would have I died if I saw him in the old. Now he wants me to die to suck. I see him in the new. New Testament believers, huh? You want to die? Because we want the blessings, we want the healing, we want the deliverance. And it's yours because of his manifestation. It's our inheritance. But if the word of God is not shaping you, dividing the soul and the spirit. In other words, we can do a lot of good things in the soul, which is good things, but it's not God. I've done in 21 years so many good things, and I think, wow, I need a pat on the back for it. And he goes, but it wasn't God. It was good, but it wasn't God. I can come and say, I want this type of music in the church. It's good, but it's not God. See, worship is for him, not for you, not for me. We worship him. 
We don't come here to oh, put the right songing and the right music in the right location so people come. But I look at John the Baptist who went out into the wilderness and they followed him there. Tell you how, tell you how powerful the word of God is. 1 Peter one twenty three. I want to encourage you People say, I read my Bible, I don't understand. Good, keep reading. Oh, but what does that mean? Write it down and we'll talk later, keep reading. Give something to the Holy Spirit to give written. Give the Holy Spirit something because he only moves on his word. You might have a manifestation, you might feel goosebumps, you might feel your hair blow back. Sorry, Justin, you won't feel that, but most people would see their hair blow back. The hairs on your back, stand up. That's great. That could be the Holy Spirit. Sorry, I'm joking. But that's not what he's talking about. In order for the Holy Spirit to move in your life, if you call Jesus as Lord and you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, how does he move in your world if there's no word to move on? Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So here it says, having been born again, not by corruptible seed, but by incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. I want to show a video shortly. 21, so it was September. So it would have been September 27, 28. My son was born, JD was born. I've shared this testimony, so I don't want to go over it. 25th of September, we had our second son, John Daniel. It's a long story. The Lord named him. Jack Daniels, the whiskey. I said, I'm not going to name him Jack Daniels. And it's actually John Daniel. And anyway, long story short, I wasn't saved then, but then felt the Holy Spirit came into Well, I didn't know it was the Holy Spirit. I felt someone standing on my shoulder when he was born. Then we named him. And then two days later, I had an encounter with the Lord, 20, and that was 21 years ago. And I haven't stopped since. That's in a nutshell. But on this day, I was home. And to show you how powerful the Word of God is, to show you that, I don't care how far you go away from God. If God's seed is in you, I don't care how much you deny Him. And I don't care how much you want to kick your heels and flick your hair and this is not working. God's going to bring you home. Because the Word is too powerful. But why should you go around the mountain a hundred thousand times to get to the destination when you could have taken it in one day? Because of your disobedience and unbelief. So what happened here, I'll just give you a bit of a rundown. So we get home from the hospital. We had an encounter with the Lord. There were some things that happened personally that weren't nice. So I'm on the couch. I'm a hero. I'm sitting on the couch. 120 kilo. That wasn't 120 kilo, was it? Babe? I was like, it looked like, you know, picture, um, huh? 109. <laughs> I was on the couch. And I'm laying on the couch. And I'm watching TV and I'm flicking through the TV. And never done this before. Had someone sharing the gospel with me. My brother was sharing the gospel with me. He shared a lot about end times and that. And all of a sudden I flick it on back in those days, it was the Optus channel. Remember Optus? Anyone remember Optus? And there was a Christian channel, just like we've got Christian channels on Christian TV. It was only one channel back then and it was new and I never really watched it because I didn't I thought they were all thieves and crooks and, and preachers and big mouths like me now. I'm one of them now, anyway. Anyway, I'm not a crook, all right, relax. Big mouth, yeah, but not a crook. Anyway, I'm laying on the couch, I'm flicking through the TV, 
And I don't know why I did, and I put the Christian channel on first time in my life. And there's a guy there, all I remember, because we just, anyway, all I remember was a guy sharing the gospel. And I'm looking at this guy, and my first words were, oh, look at these crooks. And I'm laying there, and he starts speaking, and the more he spoke, the more my eyes were opened, my eyes were opened, my eyes were opened. Then he said something, which I'm going to play it now, because what happened was my son and my wife, let me play it and let me explain it. It's probably better. Wait, we'll hit the lights quickly. I'll hit the lights over here. Which light is this one here, Jesse? Oh, you're, you're here. <laughs> Sorry. It's only a short clip. I just want to share and I'll explain what's happened. draweth nigh. 1 John chapter 2 verse 18. The apostle John said, little children, it is the last time. Now that was 2,000 years ago. And all of these verses are saying Jesus is very near. His coming is very near. Now some people have the idea that there's certain prophecies that have to be fulfilled before Jesus can come. That is not so. His coming is always imminent. Suppose you'd never seen the ocean or you wanted to go to the ocean, the Atlantic or the Pacific. And let's say you live a thousand miles from the ocean and you get, you're driving to the ocean, driving to the ocean, driving to the ocean, driving to the ocean, driving, driving, driving. Well, the ocean, let's let this platform represent the land and that uh, parquet tile there, that wood represent uh, the ocean. All right, there you are, you're driving. The ocean is not near, the ocean is not near, the ocean is not near, the ocean is not near. And finally, you're at the ocean. Now, some people have the idea that that's what the second coming of Jesus is like. We're way over here and the second coming of Jesus is off over there somewhere and we're just maybe trying to get to it. Oh, no, no, no. Friend, we're right on the edge we're just walking along the seashore just like this. Wow. Just like this. We are living on the edge of eternity. From the time that Jesus came the first time till he comes again, we are on the edge of eternity. We are living on the edge. The time is at hand. Anytime Jesus may come. Of the Lord. Wow. Yeah. So that might not mean a lot to you, but to a bloke who does not know nothing about God, I watched that. That's all I can remember that night. What happened that night, I was watching that. I remember that bit because I used to say, I thought it was the edge of the stage. He goes, we always think that Jesus is coming and we're going to a certain time of... But he says, ever since the cross, we've been walking on the edge of eternity. I heard that. Now, I remember him saying some other things. It was a long time ago. But I do believe what happened was I closed my eyes because I'm sitting there listening to this guy and I closed my eyes and all I remember is praying a prayer he was praying. You got to remember, I have no idea about this. I'm just, and I'm on the couch and I thought I was asleep. I did, I believe I fell asleep or I was blacked out or something. And then when I started to say the prayer, which I, I haven't even watched that whole sermon, my son just cut that bit because they found it. I've never watched it since that day. That was 21 years ago. The minute I said the prayer, the minute that word that he spoke, when he said that Jesus is coming back, and he's not coming back from a distance, he's coming back any minute now. Any minute now he could come back. He's on the edge of eternity, he's coming back. Something hit my spirit. I started to say a prayer that he was praying. So it must have been in between that and the sinner's prayer, I don't know. And I felt like 240 volts go through my body and throw me off the couch. 
I get up, there's electricity pumping through my body. I don't know what's going on. I run in, I, I, I started thinking, oh, someone banged on, you know, when you think you're asleep and someone bangs and wakes you up, you get startled. I thought that was that. I opened the door, I opened the blinds. Because this is at night. And I run into the bedroom. Jana was asleep with AJ, he was a baby, and, and John Daniel, nothing. I walked back in there and I could just feel power running through my body. 21 years ago. Next day, I didn't want to tell my wife because I thought the thing is crazy. But I told her, and she said, yep, you're crazy. <laughs> then her sister came over, and I said, oh, well, that's my brother-in-law's, you know, my brother-in-law's, uh, <laughs> uh, her sister's husband. And I said, uh, this is what happened to me last night. And she said, that's nice, looking at you. Yep, he's crazy. Then she told my brother-in-law, he came over. I said, what happened? I told him. And I was sort of like, oh, I don't want to tell anyone anymore. This is crazy. But can I tell you, for, for the next six months, electricity's gone through my body. It started getting less and less, but I could feel electricity go through my body. I don't know what's going on. But the second night he came over, he told me, that's the Holy Spirit, pick up a Bible and start reading it. I go, is that stuff real? He says, it's very real. And that's when on my journey, 21 years later, I stand before you. That one encounter with God with a double-edged sword, with living and breathing, hit my life. But I answered the call of God in my life. I didn't know what it was then. He penetrated that, that scripture. It penetrated through my soul, my natural intellect, and hit my spirit and threw me off a couch. And then my body was electricity. And then for the next six months, I've got this hunger to know Jesus. I don't know what I'm talking about. Hunger to know Jesus. And then God just set me up. I go, I used to do home loans back then. I used to go do a meeting. Oh, yeah, we'd like a home loan. Sit down. What do you do for me? Oh, I'm Bible college. What? And then the next 10 people I met were all born again, spirit-filled Christians. And then all of a sudden, I'm thinking, oh, this is something going on here. Until God baptized me in the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you, the Word of God came after me and penetrated me, but I said yes to the call. Are you going to say yes to the call? That means nothing to you. But when they showed it to me yesterday, because I didn't know how they, I don't know how they found it, because that, that gentleman is a Baptist preacher. He passed away a while back. He had a great teacher of the Word, but... And when they played it, I could feel the same anointing hit me the same night I got saved. Because it's living and breathing. It's like a double-edged sword, sharper. Just like a surgeon. See, a surgeon's knife is not to chop you up. He wants to cut precisely to get to something. See, when you read the Word of God, he's trying to get to your heart or to your mind. Because here it says, it, 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 it discerns the thoughts. Where are your thoughts? In your mind. And the motive of your heart. See, you can't lie to God. You can lie to me. You can come here and pretend and look nice, dress nice, dance nice, sing nice, and go home and live like a devil. You're not lying to me. You're lying to yourself because God knows everything about you. He does. The more real you can be, the quicker you'll get, over your, you'll get your deliverance. Not everything is for everyone. Some things you need to deal with God. Some things the Word of God deals with. It. Some things we can pray with you. But ultimately... How much hunger do you love Jesus to serve him? That's what I want to know. Don't think you're not qualified because there's no one less qualified than me. It's living and breathing. And he's, the motive of your heart, what is the heart's motive? In verse 13 of Hebrews 4, 11, look what it says. Uh, uh, verse 13 here. And there is no creation hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom... We must give an account. Now you read that and you think, well, God's after me, man. because He's after me, man. I've, I've thought this wrong thing yesterday and I had a wrong motive here. And he's after me. He goes, no, no, no. He's trying to clear you out so you can go into his rest. 
So I often say, he doesn't come against you to hurt you. He doesn't reveal things in your heart to hurt you. He does it to heal you. I've got some good friends that came and got saved with me and were walking with me. And when God started to deal with us deeply and in different ways, guess what? They ran because they didn't want to touch that area of their heart or their mind that they didn't want anyone to know about. There's a part of us that doesn't want to release things to God because it hurts. But I was willing to be an idiot and just say, whatever you want, Lord. Man, because I want to be delivered. Because the deeper I read the word, the more things I need to die. People ask me, whoa, what are you going to do when you get back from Brazil? Die. I want to die more. But there was an amazing time at Brazil. God moved. They go, yeah, but I need to die more. Because if I die, he lives. See, it's about him. And the more deeper we get into this, if 21 years ago Jesus is ready to come back, how much more now? If the word of God isn't... See, if I'm reading the word and not mixing faith with the word, I get no benefit. Faith has to arise. You know, I often say this, if you, know, if, you, if you don't see miracles, go find someone who's in miracles. If you don't see faith arise, go sit with someone who's got faith. If you don't see the anointing, go sit with someone with the anointing. But just don't sit there and do nothing. Don't wing that you don't see nothing. Go and look. Go and serve. I used to come and love to be a capture. Why? Because I wanted to see how he operated, you know, every person. I remember once I was a catcher and there was a guy from Africa. He was a minister. He was an African preacher and he had an anointing. And, and I was a catcher and, and he prayed for someone. And he, I don't know what he did. He clapped or, or done something and I fell. And I'm the catcher. I fell. My mates are laughing their heads off. He goes, and the person that was the, I'm out. I was just hungry for the anointing. I don't suggest that, but I'm saying. He went, I remember he goes, like this or something, and I went, and, I went, and he even looked at me, and goes, next. You know. I live in Africa, I don't see that. <laughs> Why? But I'm hungry to know the things of God. I'm hungry to change. I'm not ready to be satisfied from where I am. The minute I say I'm satisfied, you're in big trouble. Now, you might not have any desire to preach and teach. That's fine. But you are God, called by God to be a witness. First of all, to your family, to your children, and then to everyone around you. Go, go and tell someone about Jesus if your life stinks. I had a guy once and he was preaching to all his mates and he was the best debater. But that Saturday night, he was with his mates. And then it went on. He goes, can't get my mates to come to church. I go, you know why? Because you go to the club with them. So they see you like them, although you can beat them in every debate. But then on Sunday, you go to church, but you're in a nightclub Saturday night. And they say, you're a hypocrite. Let's be honest. Are you going to stand for truth? It's not just going to a nightclub. It's you're doing what they're doing. You're of the world. No, there's no difference. And you're living a false lie. And you're not letting the word of God penetrate your heart and soul and your bone and your marrow. One thing I learned when I came back from Brazil is it was an amazing trip and we saw God move and all that, but I came back and I thought, Lord, there's got to be more. There's got to be more in the kingdom. Because when I got back, I prayed for two people with cancer and they both died. And I said, that's not the gospel. That's not God's will. And it made me hungry more. I'm not taking responsibility for that. But all I'm saying is that's not the kingdom. 
See, the kingdom of God manifests through those who are broken and make Jesus Lord. It's not about me. It's not about you. See, some people say to me, oh, why don't we do this and why don't we do that? I go, when you get your life in order, we'll do this and do that. We have, for some reason, thought the enemy has no power. The enemy, the enemy has no power in the sense he's been defeated, but the enemy only goes off the people who don't know who they are and what power they have. I have known a lot of people, the enemy sitting in their lounge room and in their bedrooms and in their kitchen tables and they don't even know it. Because they haven't understood what God is trying to do in their life. You see, the gospel isn't about what I can get from God. God will give you. God is the provider of all things. But it's not about what I can get from God or what He can give me. What about you giving Him something? What can I give God? Your life. So He can use you to take you to places. I've never dreamt in a thousand years. It was not even on my radar, Brazil. The men and, God, the men and women of God I've met over the last 20 years, not even my radar. And God puts me in places to meet people. And You don't know where God's going to take you. What I thought I, where I thought I was going and where God took me is two different places. And even then I say to myself, God, what do you want from me? See, if I get up in the morning, what is the first thing you say out of your mouth? The first thing that comes out of your mouth or your first thought, not like, oh, I'm going to go to the toilet. That doesn't mean anything. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying, but what is that? What is your heart? I can sit with someone five minutes. I know where their heart is. What is your heart? Is it, Lord, what can I do for you today? Went to work, before I went to Brazil, I went to work and my prayer every day, and, and, and when I say my prayer, is I always thinking, all right, Lord, what is it, you know, we're under pressure at work and finances, we've got family, we've got, well, I've got, hey, the same problems you've got, I've got, trust me. I just don't magnify my problems. I don't give my problems any value. I won't limit, I won't magnify and lift up my issues and my problems higher than God. I used to do that. I want to magnify God over my problems. And I'm in the lift and I'm coming down and, the, and I've been sharing something mucking, even just mucking around at work in this, in this office complex and, and, and people hear me all the time. It just happens every day. And people hear me talking, mucking around, whatever, and then in the lift and then start sharing the gospel in the lift and by the time they get to the bottom of the lift, they've given their life to Jesus. Because my motive is him. I'm at work. I'm, I'm, in, I'm under pressure. We get people telling us what to do. But my motive is him. See, can he use you? Anywhere, anytime. Or is it about you? The communion table was all about factions and divisions and I'm better than you and you're better than me and, and hierarchy and that. That's what he was warning you about. Then you come together and pretend that you're going to have the Lord's Supper. People say, oh, I'm in sin, I can't take communion. Where else can you get healed unless I'm on the communion table? Repent and take communion. The devil lies to you all the time. But don't come and take communion if you hate your brother that you're sitting right next to and, you, and you've got issues with him and you've got issues with him and they go, yeah, we take the body. No, no, you're eating judgment on yourself. See, God commands a blessing when there's unity. We could be in disagreement about Scripture. Every one of us here could argue about some Scripture that we don't agree with. He's not talking about that. But when we come into unity for one cause for him, we lift up him. It's about Jesus. Nothing else. It's not even about the ministry. It's not even about the church. It's about Jesus. He says, if I be lifted up, I'll draw men unto me. If I be lifted up. If there was a cross and no Jesus on it, would people have got saved? If there was a death of Jesus without the cross, could people have got saved? 
But Jesus had to be lifted up on the altar. But the cross on itself it means nothing. It's who was died on the cross. See, the word is about Jesus. Hebrews 10, 15. And I want to I share something with you because the book of Hebrews, they debate who wrote it, but it was obviously written by a Jew who knew the law, who knew the Leviticus law, who knew the priesthood because he talks about the priesthood, talks about the pattern of the Old Testament to the New Testament. And he says, if you read through it, he says, we have a better covenant, a supreme king, a supreme high priest. Everything is so much better now. The law was your shadow, and this is the best we got. But the word of God divides you. Why does it divide you? And he talks about here about the law being written on stones of tablets, but now it's written somewhere else. Now look, let's, let's read this here. But the Holy Spirit also is witnesses to us, for after he had said this before, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws in where? And in there, I will write them. Before, what does it say? The word of God searches the intent of the heart and the discerner of your thoughts. What happened on the day you got born again? The day you, if you and if you haven't given your life to Jesus, you're better. Because you can never understand this without the Spirit of God. But when the Spirit of God comes in, what does He do? He searches the thoughts of, and your heart. Why? So He can write His thoughts, His law on your heart and in your thoughts. What is He saying? What does this mean? It means that I don't need stones of tablets with a covenant with a killing of a lamb like the Old Testament. Now the law is written on my heart. Which means I have a new nature. God's mind is my mind. God's heart is my mind. And the Word of God will reveal how much of it is in there. So if I don't read His Word, I will not know how to be like Jesus. In a nutshell. Because I can tell you all the blessings that I want. I can tell you that Jesus is our great high priest. I can tell you the Holy Spirit has been given to us. I can tell you the blood. But what is it about all that that doesn't manifest in our life? Because we don't know His Word. I love when people go, man, I was reading the Bible... And it broke me. Like, yeah. when, I start, when I start reading it, thinking I got it, I start reading it, he says, man, he broke me. I started weeping. Why? Because the word spoke to me. And if something dies, he lives. I can't emphasize this enough. What he will put in your heart, he says, then he says this, then their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. The devil will remember him. You will remember him. Your neighbor will remember him. I heard this preacher say once, God forgives our sins and remembers them no more. He throws them in the sea of forgetfulness. But Christians, they put scuba diver gear down and they dig deep to try and find dirt on you. <laughs> Isn't it true? But that bloke, he's doing so well. Yeah, but you know what he did? Straight away, you know what he did? Uh-uh, wrong answer. If you rejoice in a brother or even in an enemy that falls, you've got issues. Especially in the Christian world, we're the only people that shoot their wounded. Don't rejoice in someone's failure. Someone might sow bad seeds and they, that's what they got. I get that. But if you rejoice in someone falling apart, you've got issues. God can't use you. Remember a guy once, <laughs> this preacher said, uh, get rid of all your intercessors. He's like, yeah. He goes, well, show me in the Bible where there's a gift of intercession. Because there's intercession, there's no gift. 
He says, by the way, lady, you're supposed to be the intercessor and bring in the lost, and your husband's not even saved. <laughs> I couldn't stop laughing when I heard that, you know? How we want to put certain boxes, and this is what I'm called to do. This is what I'm, no, no, no. You're, you know what you're called to do? Die. You know why? Because I've seen a lot of my brothers have been taken out by the enemy because they didn't die. See, every day we need to die. We need to allow this word to transform us. We need to allow so, oh, but they do it this way. So we're not them. We do it this way because this is what God's called us to do. You see, if I don't want to let go of something and I don't lose my story, and this is a problem. If you, if you don't lose your story for his story, you're not healed. I've got to lose my story. See, I can share my testimony, what I've been through, some of the, th- the challenges I've had, and that might encourage you for a season, but ultimately, if I don't start telling you his story, you will never be changed. You don't know what I've been through. Yeah, but you've been through it. You see, don't magnify where you've come from. See, it's a cop-out. I, I do this because of this. Yeah, but that's a cop-out. Do you know the Lord? Yes. You know his word? I read it. You come to church, you worship? Yeah. Okay, you've got some struggles, we'll pray with you. But stop justifying your actions. The more you justify it, the more you empower it by the devil. Sorry to tell you, but that's what happens. The more you justify it, the more you empower it. I cannot empower my weaknesses. Because the Bible says, while he is weak, I am strong. But if I never admit I'm weak, and I say, well, I'm weak because of this reason, then the enemy's got me. And you, give, you tie the hands of the Lord. You really do. But when you understand, see, what did Paul say? Paul, you have to be a good speaker. You have to be eloquent. You have to know this. No, he says, I didn't come with persuasive speech. and I came with demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. See, sometimes we get in the way. See, sometimes God's doing something in this room, but you want prayer from us, and then you come out for prayer and this and that, and God was doing the work in the seat already. No one liked that one. See, the majority of your healing will be in your bedroom with him. The majority of your healing will be with him one-on-one because then you can't lie to yourself and you can't lie to him. He speaks to you directly. And you know what? It's the best place to be because when God comes in, he might come in, you might feel uncomfortable, but you'll leave healed and whole. Don't be scared of the Lord. We have a fear of the Lord of reverence, but don't be scared of him. Who's sick of going around the mountain? I am. Who's sick of challenges that always appear at certain times? And you think when you've gone over something, something else happens. Who's sick of that? Everyone should be sick of that. But see, if you look at the scripture, do you really believe? And faith comes by? And hearing by the word. Now that doesn't mean me talking about the faith, about Jesus, about the scripture. It's about... Do you give him any time? See, this is a challenge for everyone here today. (laughs) The devil came after me. Challenge for you. Whatever you do for the Lord today, this is not a law, but whatever you do, whatever you do, whether it's five minutes, ten minutes, hour, three hours, whatever you do, however you do it, do something different. I challenge you to do something different. I challenge you to give... 
God something that you would not normally give him. Maybe a bit of time, a bit of worship here, where you normally watch your best TV program. Turn it off and just spend that time with him. Do something different. Listen to me. Believe that God will meet you at that place. Because most of you don't change your routine. It's the same routine. I put worship on in the car. I'm worshiping God and cursing the guy in front of me because he won't stop on the No, no, little practical things. Let's be practical here. People have got families, they've got work. No one's busier than me, so there you go. But I always say, whenever I get myself into a routine, I try and change it. You know why? I get comfortable. When I get comfortable, I've got to change it. I've got to do something different. What does that do? It's uncomfortable, then you, but then you, your senses become awake and God can start speaking to you from a different place. Try it. Try it. Because the minute you say, I want to do it, the enemy will come after you. The minute you say, I'm going to spend half an hour with the Lord, guess what? 500 chores that you didn't want to think about, all of a sudden they come appear in your mind. When you're worshipping God, all of a sudden oh, the carpet's dirty. I've got to get the vacuum and clean the carpet. <laughs> Guarantee you. You can sit there for four hours watching the most boring movie and you know it's boring after an hour. You still sit there and watch it. The minute you want to bring your bubble, But that's what it's called, and fight the flesh. You want God to rain heaven down and you can't fight your flesh for two seconds. But ch- ch- trust me, change your routine. Just change it, even if it's five minutes. Change what you normally do. Trick the devil, sidestep him. You know. I said, I know what he's going to do. He's going to get in the car, put the worship on, sit there and pretend he's going to read, so I'll show up. Okay, I'm going to have you. <laughs> oh, I got you. <laughs> I'm going to leave you with this. Please do not say in your heart, this doesn't work. I've read my Bible. I've come to church. I've, worked, I've done all. It doesn't seem to work. Don't say that. God calls that disobedience and unbelief. Keep pushing through. Keep pushing through. Keep pushing through. Do you reckon in my 21 years I haven't felt like giving up? Especially when everything went to hell. Financial went to everything, collapse. And I'm going to go preach to him. I need healing. I need a miracle. But you know what? Keep pushing through. Perseverance. Keep pushing through. See, it's usually the most uncomfortable things are the greatest miracle. If you get so comfortable, you stop searching him out. I learned to be uncomfortably comfortable. See, the world won't tell you that. Some of the churches won't tell you that because, no, if it's not lining up, then you're not in God's will. Well, maybe God's asking you to push through. See, if I listen to every prophetic word I got, and this is a warning for someone here, if you get a prophetic word from people all the time, okay, I'm not saying they're wrong, and I'm not saying people can't give you a word, but if I was to listen to men and women of God who are men and women of God, I'm not doubting that, and listen to their prophetic way they've given me, I should be in 15 different countries, five different places all at the same time. I've stopped trying to get words. Oh, I've stopped getting words altogether unless I know it's God. And I'm even looking for it. You know why? Because your soul wants a word. You'll gravitate to get a word. And this is the word. 
And don't think you're going to receive anything from a man or woman of God if you haven't submitted into their covering. Not that out of control, but I have no right to even guide you if I don't know you. I remember I preached somewhere once and I got a word of knowledge for someone and they gave it. And now they want me to counsel them and meet up with them. I go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Where's your pastor? Oh, which church you go to? Oh, you should name five churches. I said, well, I'm sorry. You're out of order. I can help you. I can pray with you. I can edify you. But where do you belong? Because only the fathers are allowed to speak to the children. I won't let you come knock on the door and talk to my kids. Maybe the next door neighbor is a better father and made more money. In, and, and, but he's still got no right in my family. Unless I let him in. And yet you want people to speak into your life from outside who never even paid a price for you. And you get wiped out because you got the word you wanted. You have no right to talk to my kids. So what would you do it to yourself in the church? I think I've got three mentors that coached me and mentored me through church and now I'm on my own with rabs and God's leading us. And if they ring me, I know God's spoken to them. I don't even have to ask them because I gave them that right. They're my spiritual father and mother in a sense. And the true mother and father doesn't ring you every day. <laughs> because he wants you to grow up. Imagine if I'm AJ, I'm spoon feeding AJ as a baby and then when he's 10, I'm still feeding. And now he's here, I come on AJ, I'm never got a spoon feed. You say, what a weirdo. Now if my wife had her way, she'd be still spooning. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Think about it from a, from, a, from, a, from a practical sense. That would be weird, wouldn't it? See, what I'm trying to encourage you is that you have the ability, you have the anointing, you have the value in God, you have the power of the Holy Spirit in you to search out a matter. You and Him. Because if you, when you find it for yourself, wow, no one can take it off you. No one can take Some of those encounters I've had with through people, it was awesome. But that encounter with that with that first time I've never forgotten to this day but it was a God encounter see encounters are important but if you never put yourself in a position to have an encounter you're not going to have one you're not going to have one and I'm challenging you today to say the whole book of of Hebrews is about maturing into the knowledge of how good we've got it and we're going to go through some hard stuff, but He's with us. Amen? Trust in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. You know, I was overwhelmed by the messages because some of the messages, it wasn't just happy birthday, but some things that I didn't even know that I'd said and done. And, but you know what the biggest thing was? They said, oh, the way you portray yourself, the way you work through it. People that know me a long time said, we saw the efforts and the, and the enemy's attacks and, 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 and all that. And I thought, I'm just looking at this going, Wow, like I don't even remember them because I don't dwell on them. I don't dwell on how hard it was. I'm looking to the future of how good it's going to be. You've got to look at how good it's going to be. So I look upon Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. I look upon my body that's totally healed because he is healed. I look upon, I don't even look to go to heaven because you know what? Wherever he is, I'm going to be anyway because he's here. I want to see Jesus. Oh, I wish I, I wish I grew up with the disciples and saw Jesus. I go, well, the greatest apostle was Paul. He never walked with him. 
<laughs> Blessed are those who believe and do not seek or haven't seen. But you have the Holy Spirit now. And I want to challenge you that if you're satisfied with where you are, praise God. But if you're not and you're sick of going around the mountain, because you could be satisfied now and guess what? You'll hit a roadblock and think, how did I get here? So I've done that. My biggest problem is that, my biggest problem is that, because I can preach at a drop of a hat. No matter where you want me, I'll preach. Oh, bro, we need someone to preach. I'll preach, no problem. But because I can do that, it's dangerous because then I won't spend time with God because I can get away with it. But I can't, I can't, I'd rather be with Him more than preaching to you, if that makes sense. I've learned that the hard way. But, you know, it could be one minute with Him that would change your life. One minute. This is not about the time. I think Jesus is ringing and saying, I've gone over time, I think. Someone's booked for large years. Can we stand? You know, this... I want to share something about the Pharisees, but probably do it next week. I'm preaching Wednesday. I talk about the Ark of the Covenant and how to carry God's presence. Uh, if you're available, come. It's going to be very powerful what the Lord showed me in Brazil. We all want His anointing. We all want to walk in freedom. We don't want it the past drag us back. We, don't, we want to go to our future. We want to be blessed. We, but let the Word of God cut you. Let the Word of God cut you and pierce you. Let the Word of God come inside you and be powerful and increase you. It's living and breathing. And I, I guarantee you, listen to me, everyone's journey is different. I guarantee you, if you put God first, you'll never be put to shame. I can testify to that 20 years, 21 years later. And I'm looking, for the, looking forward for the next 21 years. The darker it gets, the more excited I get because there's a job to do. Amen? Amen? Amen. And I want you today to let go of your past. Please don't live there. Why would you let the enemy win twice? Come on, he's a thief and he's a robber. But when you come to Jesus, he will remove the past to take you to your future. God is good, amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We, you delivered to us, Lord, your word. You said heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will always remain. You said Jesus was the word that became flesh. You said in the beginning was the word. Father, I thank you for your word. That faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. You speak the word and they shall be healed. You sent his word and you heal them and deliver them from all their destruction. Father, your word is truth. And Father, we just don't stand here on just the word. We mix faith with the word. And I thank you, Father, for your word is true. Let it abide in us. Let it grow us up. I thank you, Jesus, that you've never left us nor forsaken us. Your mercy is in you every morning. And Lord, no matter what comes our way, I stand on your word because your word is true. I thank you, Father, 
for your spirit of grace. Let the love of Jesus manifest in our hearts, Father, and in our minds. For you search the intent of our heart and the thoughts of our mind. Lord, I bring him into alignment with you. And we thank you, Father, for your grace and mercy. I give you all the glory. Our Father, I thank you. I ask you to pray for everyone here. A blanket cover. Let your hand touch them one by one in their seats as they go out and as they come in. Father, your presence is with them. That everyone here may understand how much the Father loves you. Jesus. It was for the love of God that he went to the cross. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. I thank you, Father, that you're stepping us out from the old and into the new. We're going from glory to glory. Speak to us, Lord. You are a word in season. You are that word in season. I give you all the praise. I thank you, Father, for your wonderful grace. If you do not know Jesus here tonight, don't leave without him. Surrender your heart to him. Repent and let him come in and abide in you. But we are sick and tired of going around the mountain. It's time to enter his rest into the promise. He wants us. He's drawing us into his rest. God worked for six days and on the seventh day he rested. Man's first day. Man was created on the sixth day. So man's first day was a day of rest. His whole move was that so we could enter his rest. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Sorry I kept you as long. I just looked at the time. Bless you guys. We'll see you Wednesday. Um, I haven't forgotten anything. Amen. <laughs> Love you guys. Thank you again for all your...